can't see. I can't see that's, nothing. Well, that red light means. <laughs> <laughs> it's Tiny House Podcast. I almost forgot the title of the show. <laughs> this is Perry. This is Michelle. And this is at Mark Grimes on Twitter. Oh my oh. God. Nice plug. Nice. Shout out. He's had way too much coffee this mm. morning. Indeed, he has. Or maybe it's the frustration of other things going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Right I need a massage anyway. Exactly. Lighter. I've got one at 10:40. Okay, so today we have, uh, as our guest today, we have Roger Lehet. Is that how you say your last name, Roger? Close enough, Leet. Leet. Dang it. That's okay. I'm Nobody surprised. gets it. Hey, Roger, that's Perry's thing. Like, his his e- thing is get something wrong with the name ever so slightly. Exactly. <laughs> you got Roger, that's good. Exactly. And Roger, I don't know how well you're known in the tiny house community, but Roger is the inventor and founder of entrepreneur, an entrepreneur who created a, 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 a new or, a stove. A really cool stove. I love it. It's called... Um, his company's called Unforgettable Fire, and the stove, we're, gonna be, we're actually going to be talking about all of his products, but one of them that we've st- looked at a little bit is called the Katie Did. And so, um, why don't we just kick it off, Roger, and give you a chance to tell us about your company and about your product. I think, actually, uh, we have two stoves, and I think, actually, the one that you're more familiar with is the Kimberly, the small one. Um, I am not exactly sure sometimes how preordained my life has been in the sense that fire um, has been with me since birth, pretty much. Uh, first time I ended up having to put a fire out in my daddy's garage, I was only five years old. <laughs> wow. Wow, wow. Tell I, us about that story. <laughs> well, After you started it. <laughs> you know, it, it was more like I spilled some gasoline and thought, oh, gee, that might be cool to light that on oh, fire with wow. a match. And, uh well, the, the mower had to come flying out of the garage before the car caught, and fortunately, my parents never knew a thing happened. What? <laughs> <laughs> they do I got now. Yeah. They do now. A few, yeah, they do now. Well, yeah, I'm busted. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but I played with fire all through my growing up years. I ended up setting a few things on fire that I probably shouldn't have and got lucky. Nobody ever got hurt. Nothing really ever got damaged, but... Um, at 18, I had left school and had pretty much been out for almost two years and ended up taking a job, this crazy job, as a telephone solicitor for a chimney sweeping company. <laughs> and uh, that lasted all of about three weeks. It wasn't, <laughs> wasn't my thing. And I walked up to the, the owner of the business and I said, you can either tell me to go to you know where or you can hire me to be a chimney sweep and teach me that. Well, they taught me everything you you want to do if you don't want repeat customers. I mean, this company made a mess out of just about every home they touched. And through that experience, I recognized what you shouldn't do if you're trying to serve people. And I came back to my hometown with a set of tools and a truck. And I was literally walking around the island, knocking on people's doors. Hey, you need to chimney clean 40 bucks. (laughs) After about two years of that, somebody said, you know, you really ought to turn this into a legitimate business and you should come up with a name. Well, I'm wandering around with a set of brushes in my hand looking for work. Wandering Brushes Chimney Sweep was born when I was 18. By the time I was 22, I opened my own uh, retail location, my first one of four, selling wood stoves. I eventually ended up selling, installing, maintaining every kind of wood gas pellet stove you can lay a finger on. Uh, I got into doing large gas piping systems for apartment complexes. It was just kind of crazy. Um, because I didn't really have anybody teaching me anything. I learned as I went. <laughs> Thank God most of my customers never knew, and nothing ever went wrong. Um, 
but along the way, I think what really happened was I, and I, I can't say that I understood this then, and maybe I'm just beginning to understand it now, but I learned all of these things that can make life easier for people. And in the long run, I ended up putting all of this knowledge into the products that we're talking about today. The biggest catalyst was when the 2008 Seattle crash happened, the, the, the um, housing bubble burst. My wife and I had just finished gambling everything we owned on outdoor kitchen equipment, um, high-end hot tubs. We had a bunch of those laying around the shop, theater suits, surround systems, big screen TVs, you name it. And we got caught with our pants down and lost everything. I went from about a quarter million dollar a year income to eating at the food bank and living on a boat. Wow. What, what, uh, first of all, um, when you, when Before you, you ask a serious question, I wasn't going to ask I, a serious question. I was going to ask him to move his mic to the, Oh, okay. Sorry. Yeah. So the, so you're taught when you're talking, Roger, sometimes you're, I think you're moving the phone away from your mouth and then sometimes you're closer. If you move it closer all the time, we'll get much better sound quality. Okay. Is this, that's, does that work better? Yeah, that's very good. good. So first okay. I was going to make a, a king of the hill that you're like actually Hank Hill, you know, propane and propane accessories. <laughs> so I had to say that. And then I, also had, then I also had to interject. So when you were doing the telemarketing, you know, did they have you speak in like a Cockney accent and call people Gubna a lot? <laughs> anyway, back to your story. Sorry, I just had to do that before it That's got okay. to be too late. So back back to you. Um, let's see, where were we? we uh, yeah, we moved on to a 28-foot boat with a 9-year-old child, no income and no plan, um, which worked really good during the summer because we could we could go uh, crabbing, we could fish for salmon, we could pull clams off the beach, and we could go to the food bank for salads. And it worked out okay for a while. But then in November, late November, my nine-year-old stepdaughter looked at me and said, um, you're kind of cool and the boat was fun for a while, but this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm cold, I'm hungry. And boy, I'm I'm a person that really loves kids. I mean, I really, really love kids. I've raised kids all my adult life. And that was one of the biggest kicks in the crotch I could ever hear from a child is that I'm not doing my job as a parent. So, to be honest with you, <clears throat> people laugh at me about this, but I um, took to a bottle of vodka and uh, <clears throat> got pretty upset with the creator. And we had a long, drawn-out conversation that was not pretty. You and the creator or you and the my bottle of vodka? Well, all three were involved. <laughs> Pretty evenly, actually. Um, <laughs> the next morning, I woke up with a real serious hangover and a picture in my mind of a little stove on our boat. Sweet. I had no idea at the time that I was creating something with the parameters that the tiny house community needed. I had no clue. This has been almost eight years ago now. And... The parameters were really pretty simple. When you're living on a boat, you don't have room for fuel storage. You don't have much room for anything, including a stove with very tight clearances. Uh, one one side of the uh, area we put the stove was actually facing a uh, fiberglass shower stall. And if you set that on fire, yeah. your boat's gone and you're probably dead. So yeah. <laughs> Um, this was literally engineering by the seat of your pants on the back of a boat in the middle of the Puget Sound with no money. And I made five hand-built stoves on the back of this thing. And the weirdest thing started happening. A, a gentleman from 125 miles away sailed his boat to Vashon Island to come find this crazy Roger guy with a weird little wood stove on how his he, boat. How did he find out about you? 
I don't know. That's the weird part. That's so weird. People just started showing up out of the woodwork. Oh my goodness, this little stove, this little stove. Now, the, I want to credit somebody here because the woman that really inspired me to do what we've done, her name is Kimberly. That's why the stove's called that. She showed up one day. She was a former uh, client of our of our shop. They had bought product from us. And she said, I've heard about your stove. This is great. This is amazing. And, and you can help people. And I looked at her and I said, do you see how we're living? <laughs> who, who do you think I'm going to help? I can barely feed this poor kid here. And she said, no, you're going to help a lot of people. And I want to help you. I'm going to take you to an attorney and I'm going to pay for your patent search. Wow. And I was like, are you, have you lost your mind? What you <laughs> you're going to hand me money? That's just crazy. Well, that was $3,500. And to this day, they have never asked me for anything in return. Wow. People That's started awesome. showing up. Roger, you're doing the right thing. You, you shouldn't go get a job. You should continue doing this. And you guys look hungry. Here's 500 bucks for food. One guy showed up. Here's 1000 bucks for food. It was just crazy. And hmm. people kept coming and things kept coming. And it's still happening today, although with the economy the way it is, I'm praying for some, <laughs> some things to be brought to us from the universe because I believe that what we're doing um, is very important in the sense that, and, and here's a story I'd love to relate. I got a phone call a couple of years ago from um, a pediatric neurosurgeon. Now, when you say those two words around me, I'm thinking, Daddy Warbucks, this guy's loaded, right? <laughs> I was, think, I was thinking you have some sort of illness. <laughs> well, I probably have that too, but um, this, this fellow called me up and he says, my wife's pregnant with twins, we have a three-year-old daughter, and we're choosing between the mortgage and the heat bill. Wow. And I'm thinking, what? Is this guy's top dog? What the heck? How big is this house you've got? 2,800 square feet, which is not out of the norm for... Yeah. You know, that kind of a income. Yeah. In fact, that's a small home for that income. Yeah. So I asked him what were the parameters that put him in the position he was in. And between student loans, uh, medical malpractice insurance, the hospital cut, the anesthesiologist cut, blah, 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 blah. This gentleman saves a baby's life and gets 450 bucks for it. Wow. Then the utility company literally doubled his rates in one month. Now he can't afford to heat his family and keep his home. So he takes a gamble, and he put a stove on his credit card, and we walked him through the installation. And he called me up the next spring and kind of hit me from left field. I, I talked to a lot of people. I had hardly any recollection when he mentioned his name. They said, you remember me? I'm the, I'm the neurosurgeon. I said, oh, yeah. How's it going? He says, you saved our house. Wow. Uh, it didn't really land right away. I'm like, what, what did we do? Did something go wrong? <laughs> he said, you cut out the heat bill. Your product cut out the heat bill. We are able to keep our home. Now, which, which, which uh, I presume this was still in the prototype stage. Is that right? Or did you have two products? We just had Kimberly at the time. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah. Katie did now has come out. She's for the, the larger homes and, and where you have more, you know, clearance on the floor. Kimberly obviously is, is meant to be jammed into some of the tiniest places on the planet. Mm -hmm. And just for the fun of it, we are coming out with something we're hoping to unveil at the Tiny House Jamboree in Colorado. I think you guys probably know about last year's Jamboree. Yeah. Yep. 
phenomenal, phenomenal group of people. We had so much fun there, and we're looking forward to doing it again this year. Um, I, I, you wouldn't believe that one, by the way. The core group was praying 5,000 people showed up. Yeah. And somewhere around 40. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 40,000. It was an immediate parking problem. It was like, oh my, what do you do with all these cars? But the crew that, that put that together um, were so tight-knit and did such a beautiful job. And everybody that went there, I don't think anybody had a negative comment. It was just a fantastic audience, fantastic group of people. So we're, we're looking to go there again this year. But um, anyway, the, the whole story of this little stove is just so weird. It, mathematically, um, this should never have happened. I mean, we've, we've bootstrapped this entire thing. We've gotten gifted small gifts from here and there. Um, but it says to me that this is something we're supposed to be doing. This is something that will help a lot of people. I know a lot of folks that the tiny house movement is getting a real boost because, and it's kind of sad, but the economy is forcing it. A lot of people are, you know, some, some folks will go tiny because they want to, and it's good on the environment and these kind of things. Some folks are having to. I've, I've talked to a lot of people who, they know they're losing the house. They get out of it whatever they can. They turn around and build a tiny, and suddenly, guess what? They're mortgage-free, yeah. and their life is now more secure, and their children are more secure, and we're also not doing to the environment some of the things that I absolutely detest. For example, just a few miles from where I live here, there's an 18,000-square-foot home for three people. 18,000? 18,000. It includes an indoor Olympic-sized swimming pool. Well, that's bigger than the one I was looking at from one of our guests before who had architected a 10,000-square-foot uh, home. I just personally right. can't understand it. <laughs> when when we move, at some point in time, we want to move to the Blue Ridge Parkway in, in North Carolina. I just absolutely love the mountains up there, and, and the mountain people are pretty, pretty awesome. We have design of a house. Um, it would be an oriental timber frame, which is very, very pretty, but it won't be big. I mean, like 1,200 square feet, and that'll have to house my office, my music studio, and our life. Mm -hmm. I don't want a big house. In fact, right now we're, we sold a piece of property that we were living in on the island here, and my mother's ailing. She's 81 years old, and we're staying with her until we move, and um, it request i'm 50 years old back at mom's house oh my god please <laughs> <But> <laughs> this house is huge i mean it's it's over 5,000 square feet and it, i'm having to feed this gigantic fireplace insert yeah because she doesn't want me to make major changes to the house and put my stoves in i'm living with this thing that eats 150 pounds of fuel a day mm. wow 150, and I'm used to two stoves. The Kimberly has an appetite for about 30 pounds a day, and Katie about 45 pounds a day. Uh. So I'm working three times as hard just getting wood in this thing. Yeah. You know, mm. and I'm eating up three times as much forest. And those are the kind of things that really drive me batty. Um, we have been trying to develop, and we work with other companies. You, you had asked earlier about, you know, other relationships we have. We're working with a group called LED Dynamics in Vermont. This is really exciting stuff to me because what I've been preaching all along is that you can cook, heat, bake, produce electricity, and hot water from a wood stove. Yeah, we want to know and, how that happens. Well, the Russians actually started the electrical production aspect of wood back in World War One, 
they were using what's called a thermal pile, which is several dissimilar metal wires twisted together and heated up. It produces an electrical millivoltage, produces current. So they were doing that on a fairly large scale back in World War I. I think this probably would have taken off along with some of Tesla's things, however, yeah. you know, the powers that be, they don't really like that. And they're probably not happy with me either. That's too bad. We've, <laughs> because I'm really into efficiency on a number of levels. And I think when you can multitask anything off of a single action or off of a single fuel load, for example, you're doing the planet a great favor and you're making your life a whole lot simpler and a lot less expensive. So the thermoelectric generators that we're using today don't use the dissimilar metal wires. They're actually using thermoelectric modules. When you hit these modules with hot, hot on one side and cold on the other, they start producing this this uh, millivolt current the greater the differential between hot and cold the greater the heat the electrical output wait so wait a second so what is what's inside of these <coughs> these node things what's in there well that's the one part that they keep me on the dark about <laughs> <laughs> being an inventor working with a company that is pioneering this kind of stuff i don't think they probably want me to know everything um, the modules they're ju- they're just kind of like a flat two inch by two inch module that gets pinched between a hot surface and a cold surface, and in our case for the Katie did each one of our generators, which are like ten inches by six inches and two inches thick, are loaded with eight modules per unit. So you have you're harvesting the power of sixteen of these modules. We were originally working with air cooled equipment. The fans were. Yeah, they did a decent job, but they ate up some of the power that you were trying to create in the cooling process. And then we moved to using a water jacket on the opposite side of the hot plate and found that water is such an awesome medium for removing heat. And guess what? Your byproduct is hot running water. So So a lot of the shows that I do when I'm traveling around the country... When you, when you come to the booth, you'll see this large board. It has a bunch of LED lighting strips on it. It's got a blower fan for the wood stove. It's got a computer that conditions the power, so to speak, and will decide how things are to be run off of the power produced. I'll give you an example. You fire the stove up, and within about five minutes, you hear a water pump kick in. It's a little five-watt water pump, and it starts circulating the water. That's inside the water jacket? The, the, the you, Correct. The water jacket is part of one of the two thermoelectric generator units. Okay. And they're, like I said, they're 10 inches by 6 inches right. and 2 inches thick. Right. One on either side of the stove body. So within about 5 minutes of ignition of the stove, those things are already starting to put out power. They kick on a water pump. As the stove is heating up, that water pump's going to keep speeding up, and it's going to keep taking away heat right. on the, the cold side. So you'll hear that, and after about 10 minutes, one of the lighting strips will kick on. Another four or five minutes later, the next lighting strip kicks on. You're now at uh, 23 watts right there. After a little while longer, the fan will kick on. That adds 14.5 to the draw. And then once all those things have been lit up, the computer automatically starts sending power to the battery to store excess power. So how, but how much – so, okay, so they're – 
there's a there's a there's a load in the generation of the electricity that's coming off of the heat. So you so how much how much um, how much of the electricity, how much of the output is being stored in the battery as a per, expressed as a percentage? Like, how efficient is this thing? It would depend on what your load is. If you're not running... Well, I'm just, talking about, I'm just talking about the native, the native load, the, the amount of power that it needs to produce the electricity minus, subtracted from the total per, electricity produced. So after you drop a full load, how much? Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's, let's put it this way. The, at full tilt boogie, and we're talking about a stove surface temperature around 750 to 800 degrees, the generators will produce 70 watts of power, which is about 2.3 quarter amp. And you can either be assigning that to the battery or you can be running a good percentage of it. For example, the LED lighting strips that we use are each 9 watts. So there's two, that's 18 watts right there. Then you've got a 14.5 watt fan, you've got a 5 watt pump. Right now that's all that's loaded on our display board and believe me those lights are bright at night they will blind you. So but that's still leaving you about 35 watts to go to the battery. In I other see. words almost 2 amp trickle charge on top of running all of our load and at the same time you're producing that hot water and we're seeing temperatures circulating through the system of around 152 at the max. So you can so if you connect a if you connect a, your uh, hot water tank to this device, can you can you heat up a 10-gallon hot water tank? Yes. And how much yes. time would it take to do that? That's going to depend on burn time, but you're you're not looking at very long, hour, hour and a half probably. Okay, and then that's a continue. It's almost like an on-demand hot water heater as long as the heater's running, right? Correct. Okay. Correct. Now, and, here's what I think is really cool, and it's and we're starting to see more and more... Uh, of this happening in in my early days it seems to me the solar guys and the wood stove guys were kind of in competition it's like oh no you don't need a wood stove you need a solar panel system and the wood stove guy would say oh that's ridiculous you want now we're we're shaking hands you can put an electric producing solar power panel set on your roof and you can also put a hot water solar panel system on your roof and dovetail it in with what we're cranking out from the wood stove the new um, control system can take up to four different power producing inputs. In other words, you can have your thermoelectric generator, you can have your solar panel for power, you can have a wind generator for power, and if you happen to be lucky enough to be doing electric uh, mini hydro, you can have all four of these sources feeding the computer. It will decide which is the most potent at any given time. Like high noon, your solar panels are going to be putting out the most power, so it'll draw mainly from that. At night, when the sun goes down, your wood stove is likely to be the highest producer. It'll draw from that. So we're continuously feeding a battery bank. Right. And, and then you're drawing, and then you're drawing, your, you're drawing your, your demand from the battery. Exactly. Got it. So, so it's interesting. They're, you're creating this almost a co-generation facility on top of a tiny house and within a tiny house. And if you add to that a water catchment system with a filtration right. and a composting toilet, what do you need to be hooked up to the grid for? Yeah, Why I mean, do you need that? It, I mean, it depends. On, yeah, a lot of it depends on where you're at, right? So if there's, if there's, I guess you can rely pretty much on all four of those. I think you said four: heat, water, heat, or sorry, light, uh, wind, heat from the. The, the your machine and what was the fourth one 
Well, you could do uh, um, mini hydro is becoming right, more and more popular. Mini hydro, that's right. That's right. Mini hydro. So, wow. So, so you could, I guess, you could rely on all four of those in in a given environment. I'll give you another uh, just a quick example of the reality of that. We were out on the boat one night and <laughs> it ran when it wanted to. You know, it was one of those old bay liners. <laughs> and, uh, we were out on the boat and the, the motor starts to sputter and cough and whatnot. And it craps out, excuse the term. And I'm trying to get it started. And in the process, I run the battery down. So here we are floating in the dark out in the middle of the water with no power. <laughs> All right, this isn't funny. I put the thermoelectric generator on top of the wood stove. I hooked it directly up to the boat's battery. Mm-hmm. And we had dinner, and we had a few beers, and I messed around with the engine, and I figured out what was wrong. It was a plugged-up fuel filter inside the carburetor. By the time I got all this done, that uh, generator had been working for about three hours. I kid you not, when I turned the key, it was probably lucky because it kind of went ring and off it went i was like oh my goodness this thing just charged our battery to the point we were actually able to start the boat well so I, so just to be clear that you you got enough energy into the battery to turn the starter it, it didn't really we don't know you don't really know if it charged the battery right it did charge the battery because we were feeding it about two two and a half amps for three hours and that was enough that when I turned the key, the, the battery was strong enough to start wow. that engine. Okay. So Kimberly saved my hiney a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> she's a good woman. <laughs> oh, she's a sweetie. She is a sweetie. <laughs> so, I, I like hearing from people that, um, in fact, it's really amazing to me now. I'll go on YouTube. She's, de- she's developed her own life. I can't even really claim all this. I don't think I'm that smart. I, I follow... I try to follow uh, directions the best I can, but most of this stuff comes in the middle of the night like a download. It just you know boom, pops into my brain, and then the factory helps me put it together. But we're, we're now to the point where I get on YouTube, and I will find videos that people have done that I know nothing about. Thank God they love the product because <laughs> I'd be out of business tomorrow if they didn't like it. So they've done videos about what? Kimberly and, and what people are doing with them. Uh, there's a fellow named Justin Credible out of uh, Vancouver, <laughs> that's BC. That's not his real name, is it? Well, I'm sure that's his, his uh, YouTube name. Okay. But Justin, Justin Credible TV and Justin, <laughs> Justin Credible RV. Awesome. Very funny that. videos. I, I actually can't wait to meet this fellow. I've never met him in person. I've talked to him once on the phone. But um, he lives in a motorhome. He calls it urban camping because <laughs> they hang out in Vancouver, B.C., and they park around. They'll, you know, I think they call it boondocking. Uh-huh. They'll yeah. you know, show up alongside a road somewhere for yeah. a night. They, and one of the cool parts with his videos is uh, when you first start watching the video, it'll say uh, 291 problems, but a mortgage ain't one of them. Right on. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, he's done three of them now, I think, featuring Kimberly, where he did an entire remodel of a motorhome around the stove he's got a hearth he's got i mean it's just really classy looking deal and he loves the thing and he he cooks on it he uses it for all his heat he's really not spending any money because he can run around to furniture mills and get kiln dried wood scraps it doesn't cost him a thing to heat his trailer whereas a lot of people i mean when you look at uh, in fact i visited the the man camps i don't know if you know much about the bakken oil reserves up there in uh Oh, North yeah. Dakota. Yeah, 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 yeah. 
they some of those guys were spending like 600 650 bucks a month on propane to heat their their trailer yeah well for cripe's sake that means that kimberly's a payoff in the first season <laughs> it's boom you're done sure, so it, yeah it really has begun to um to make a huge dent in in my mind because we've got about 650 families in the last four years that we have sold product to and we're actually very hands-on. A lot of people want to do their own, which especially in the tiny house community, it's a very DIY crowd. What You mean do your own? You mean install on their own? Yeah, yeah. These are largely do-it-yourself type people, which I love because <clears throat> Thank I've you. become really good at <laughs> communicating with folks and walking them through their own installation. One of my favorite memories is a, as a gal from Wisconsin Apparently she's four foot two or four foot four, so she's a real, real teeny little lady, and uh, she had never run a skill saw in her life. But she, you know, had never even built anything. And I walked she and her girlfriend through. It took about three days, but they installed their own. And I've we've done this with the majority of the six hundred and fifty stoves that we've sold have been done this way. Um, the great part about it is she was so proud at the end of it, and she also knew her system really, really well because she installed it. There were no corners cut. Yeah. You know, somebody didn't show up and just schlock through the job, leaving yeah. her a dangerous, a dangerous thing. And um, that's another aspect I really I kind of want to harp on for just a second. I'm a real safety nut. When I was 24, I witnessed a, an auto wreck, and I watched three people that did not make it out alive they burn mm. to death it's a horrible horrible thing and please anybody that's listening to this if you're putting a heating unit in a tiny house be smart please be smart i had one fellow at a lofted bed he wanted to put the stove below the bed i said you're going to need to <laughs> wow. build something to keep your pillow and your blankets from coming off well he didn't do it and he's probably very, very lucky he's alive. He called me up and he said, I'm going to need a new steel top for my stove. And I said, why would you need that? Oh, there's a bunch of stuff kind of stuck on it. I said, what kind of stuff? Well, my pillow. Oh. I said, until I see a picture where you've remedied this, I'm not sending you anything. Right on. So he, had, he, so he had the stove close enough to his loft so that when his pillow fell off the loft, it landed on the heater? Right on top of the stove, and wow. he was unlucky. So you know, life is life is very fragile. You know, it's funny, is, Roger. We we talked to who was that guy we talked to about the, the safety guy. What was his name? Do you remember his name? Tiny House Systems. Do you remember? Do you know Gary Butte? Gary Butte. Do you know Gary Butte from Tiny House Systems? The name's familiar. He he's a big safety nut too in the in this um in this movement, and he one of the things he pointed out to us when we interviewed him several episodes ago was how. All of these tiny houses are being built with these lofts, and there's no way to get out of the loft if the place catches on fire. Like, there's no, none of the windows are large enough. To, not, not only are they not large enough to crawl out of, but they don't even open large enough to get out of. Right, and right, so, and that, that worries me a lot. Yeah. Is that mine? is very important. her house? Five-year-old and a can of gas. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Works now, come really on, well. Got about the first five seconds. Yeah, yeah. There's actually another, it's a safety issue uh, along the lines of a health issue. <clears throat> I have seen some pretty interesting builds. Obviously, I'm, I've got my hands on a lot of tiny houses because of what we're doing. 
I've seen some people build a stick frame and then Tyvek both the inside and outside before they do their, their wall dressings. This is a mold issue just waiting to happen. Yeah, In fact, I would give yeah. that structure three years before wow. there are serious problems with it. And I told the guy not to do it. Um, we, we got into a conversation about the outside air kit for Kimberly, which is the stove is fully uh, functional to, to accept outside air for combustion. Uh-huh. And I'm talking to him about this whole thing. And he tells me about this double tie wrap, Tyvek wrap. And I'm like, this is crazy. I don't do that. And I want to relate that to a real life situation that we found living on the boat. And this, I don't care if it's a boat or a tiny house or whatever you've got. When you micro-size your dwelling, you basically restrict the airflow. Yeah. In other words, a big house, even though I'm not really into big houses, big houses breathe naturally. The laws of convection cause them to breathe. Hmm. And you can study that. You can light up a stick of incense anywhere in a house and you can see where the airflow in, in the house is going. When you get into something tiny, there's not much movement of that smoke. There's not much airflow in there. Right. And that's a breeding ground for mold. Oh, really? Then you add two or three people. Each human being ex- exhales about 2.2 quarts of water a day. That's a lot of halitosis. <laughs> right. <laughs> now you bring in a propane fire device, and if it's not one of the higher-end um, four or 5,000 Wabasta, the four or five thousand dollar Wabasto systems that are direct vented. Now you've got you're burning a fuel that carries thirty three percent water. You're adding that to your tiny dwelling. I have some friends in this position right now. But that but living, that creates a that creates a moist heat. That's comfortable. It, well, moist heat also creates mold. Right. This happened to my wife. She became very sick. We were oh. dealing with black mold. Oh. We would try to go to bed at night. And the pillows would be musty smelling and yucked. And finally, we started noticing some of our um, clothes and things stored in the cabinetry were actually molding. We were getting black mold going on the boat. One of the best, I'm going to plug it, I'm going to plug it. One of the best things about wood heat is it is a dry heat, Mm. especially in our neck of the woods. Obviously, the Pacific Northwest, (laughs) we're wet all the time. Mm And so if you're building tiny and you're putting in a heating system, even if it's not one of ours, I suggest people look at the idea of wood heat because it is so dry. It will not only help protect your health, but it's going to help protect the investment of that house you just built. I can't imagine anything more horrific than maybe having to downsize, not when you planned on it, but because you had to. You built a really nice tiny house and five years later it's rotting to death. Yeah. Because nobody took into consideration. And there's another aspect, too. If your house is on a trailer and you haven't dealt with water issues of how the house mates to the trailer, in other words, a full skirting around the outside of the trailer so you're not developing water at the base of your wood, guess what? Your walls are going to rot out. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I recall the three of us host here talking about someone's tiny house that had that mold problem. I'm not going to say who it was, but um, <laughs> Michelle had, had related this story to us, and I wonder how many tiny houses end up with that kind of situation down the road. Well, I think the most surprising thing about mold is that even some of the very, very well-known, again, not going to say who they are, the very, very well-known builders and, and uh, promoters and, and people of the tiny house community, almost all of them really have, have 
experience just to some level, you know, at some point. Um, Andrew Morrison from Tiny House Build just posted, like, literally last week, um, an article about mold and mold management oh, and wow. how the different... Uh, right. how each different heat source creates a different moisture problem, either hmm. lack of moisture or too much moisture. And then, of course, all the things that you can do in a tiny house to actually keep, you know, again, keep the moisture, keep the humidity at a certain level. He recommends all kinds of things. But but anyways, yes, moisture control, mold, mold control, and understanding... Again, he was talking about the envelope of the house, how many windows mm. do they open. Mm -hmm. All of that is, is literally calculable into the overall chances of getting mold in, mm. your, in your tiny wow. house. Wow. Interesting. I, I saw that post. It was very, very good. He posted yeah. it twice, actually. I responded to, I think I responded to the first one with the suggestion that wood heat is one of the, in my mind, one of the best ways around that and then you know looking at the materials that you're going to be using too um, I'll actually go ahead and, and uh, mention a friend of mine who does um, it's a company called Eagle Log Cabins they're also actually here on, on Vashon Island they'll be at the uh, Jamboree they were there last year the the tiny houses that they're selling are kits they're really really awesome amazingly beautiful houses and they're using Siberian larch Siberian larch is what Venice is built on, and if you remember, Venice is a wood foundation sitting in water. I, it doesn't rot. <laughs> it's just really amazing product, and with her uh, particular brand, you don't do a stick frame and then have to dress both sides of it. You stack up logs like a Lincoln log kit, huh. and the interior and the exterior are already dressed when you stand your walls up. When you say really dress, what do you mean fun. when you say dress? What does that mean? Well, you have, when you, as you're stacking your logs up, you're in the inside walls and the outside walls are this beautiful Lincoln log, log kind log of style oh, uh, house. I see. So you're not, you're not putting up a two by four frame, I see. having to drywall out the inside and wainscot it and, you know, do all these things to make it look pretty and then using a siding of some sort on the outside. So your square foot, uh, your dollars per square foot comes down yeah. and you end up with this beautiful product. It's really well insulated. You have a lot fewer issues where the wood meets the trailer because this style of wood just it doesn't rot. Michelle has something to say about this. <laughs> Actually, I wanted to, I want to talk about those houses specifically. What's fascinating also to me about her houses is she actually imports them. What's um, the name of the houses? Uh, Eagle Log Cabin. Um, she actually imports them. So um, you know from overseas. So you, you lay out your specifications. So. Um, the wood is actually sourced from the from the place that that these trees grow. It's a pretty fascinating story. I agree. They also um, she's Vicky's. I've known Vicky for many years, and she's very into sustainable everything. And she only works with mills that practice sustainable selective logging, and and they replant every time they take down, they put back. And that's I think really smart because. Boy, we just haven't been doing that. We've been sucking all the all the resources out of our planet and not thinking about putting it back. Finally, we're, we're getting there. We're getting somewhere. And looking at the uh, tiny house movement, there's an awful lot of people who are of this mindset. And yeah. that is one of the biggest things I absolutely love about the tiny house people is that they don't want to just keep scraping and scraping and scraping. These folks realize we need to treat Mother Earth a lot better than we have been. So when I go to a, a tiny house event, 
I'm amongst brethren who think the same way. <laughs> Whereas I, did, I had to do a presentation in Beverly Hills last year to a thing called Sustainatopia. And a bunch of people looked at me like, what? <laughs> Recycle? What? Are you kidding me? I'll get my fingernails dirty. I was just <laughs> kind of drove me crazy. But um, it, it was that, that event actually ended up being pretty cool. And it was done there because that's one of the least sustainable places on the planet. <laughs> the promoter was out to make a point, and he did. It, it was pretty cool. But, um, yeah, Vicky's, Vicky's houses are phenomenal for anybody looking into um, going tiny. I definitely recommend getting a look at that product. Um, and, obviously, think you know, wood heat is a way to go in the sense that I've had some people, and these are kind of more diehard survivalists, I would guess, but... I've had people elect not to do a range oven, not to elect not to do a water heater because they can do this stuff on a stove. We've got this little baking oven, for example, that actually you don't even have to use our baking oven. You can use a, a Dutch oven on top of the stove, and you can do your baking right there in a Dutch oven. I have one lady in, uh, in Oregon. She did this little video that I can't use yet. Because she baked some magic marijuana brownies, and she did it on video. <laughs> and as she pulls the, the pan of finished brownies out, she said, "A perfect batch of magic marijuana brownies." I was like, "Until you did that, this video is perfectly usable." <laughs> <laughs> Three states are probably okay with that. Yeah. Video. The others might not be. <laughs> but I, you know, there's another, actually, another great um, moment in my life last year which I think is really important. I don't know if you guys are aware, in the last 18 months I've done about 52,000 miles of touring the entire country more than once and doing Mother Earth News Fair shows, huh. survivalist shows, a lot of uh, tiny house, um, like the Jamboree and so forth. We were headed to Seven Springs, Pennsylvania to do the Mother Earth News Fair, and that often pulls thirty-five to 40,000 people over the weekend. I had made a deal with a fellow I love, um, Mr. G's, <laughs> Mike Lagola, if you catch this, you're a good man. He's got his own special uh, grilling sauce. It's an amazing product, <laughs> and I've been trying to help launch his business. So what I did was I bought 650 bucks worth of food, most of it all locally sourced from organic farmers and things, and Mike came in with this big, puffy, white chef's hat and his white apron and these really cool, dark shades. And Mike went to work for three days solid. We ran one Kimberly and two Katie did wood stoves. We had stovetop ovens. We were able to pan fry. For three days, he cooked his hiney off. And, I mean, this guy made stuff I can't even pronounce. It was so good. And we used 100 pounds of fuel in three days. Wow. And you're just do, knowing that the Katie, was it the Kimberly you were working off of? We had one one Kimberly and two Katie Dids running simultaneously. For, and they used for all three how, days. Much, how much per per day? With forty? Did you say it was forty pounds? A, a... Well, in this case, we used about a hundred pounds in three days because we weren't running the stoves okay. at night. Got it. Right. But uh, it was it was kind of funny because you know we'd done some cooking and some baking at home, obviously, but I'm not a five star chef, <laughs> and here I'm. I'm all cavalier. Oh, yeah, come on down. You know, I'll buy all the food. We'll cook it and give it away to everybody, and, and they'll go crazy, and it'll be great and everything. And I'm about 100 miles from the event, and it strikes me that we've never done anything like this. 
and we're about to do it in front of a crowd. I mean, a big crowd. And if it fails, it's going to be extremely embarrassing. But I got one of those, you know, or spectacular. Yeah, I, I got one of those, you know, butterflies in the belly and the cramping and all that. So, oh my God, what if this doesn't work? This is suicide. <laughs> I drove away from this event, going, oh my gosh. We really did it. I mean, we really, really, not only was he doing the cooking and the baking, but we also had the thermoelectric generator board system running. So all the lighting and everything that we used was generated from the wood stove while he was cooking. Now, let me give you some ideas of what he cooked. For breakfast the first morning, we had this amazing French toast um, with uh, scrambled eggs, bacon, and sausage. By the time lunch rolled around, he's pulling a brisket out of the slow cooker that was on top of one of the stoves and makes pulled pork sandwiches. Wow. For dinner, he had three different types of fish. He had cod, salmon, and trout with these, what's a demi-glaze sauce? I don't even know what a demi-glaze sauce is. I ate it. It was phenomenal. Like That's all I know. Paired. It tastes good. Oh, it's ground up incredible. <laughs> then he also baked a... Um, he baked a uh, a chicken. He made Moroccan chicken. He baked bread. I mean, he did all this stuff in front of all these people. There's some video of it on on um, both of our Facebook pages. But what it did for me was amazing. I, as the you know the inventor of all this stuff, or at least the guy supposedly steering the wheel, I walked in being a little afraid, and I walked out going, "Wow." Wow, it worked better than I ever thought it could have worked. And what that means is that people at home can do this too. And we got a lot of funny questions. People are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this was actually cooked on a wood stove. Was it really cooked on a wood stove? Well, think about it. 150 years ago, everything yeah. was cooked on a wood everything stove. Everything was. Everything. Yeah. Now we've gotten dumbed down. We either have a thing on the wall that, you know, we're spending X dollars a day to keep our hind end warm, or we've got this thing that. You turn a button to cook your food, and they start billing you. The moment you turn that button, they're billing you. Yeah, or you, you know? got both. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's why I feel really good about what we do is because every time we turn around, we're finding ways to save people money. Um, a few people have asked, you know, well, gee whiz, it's a lot of money to get into this. Do, 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 do. All right, we recognize that it's an investment. It's not. This is not a cheap thing that you're just going to use for two years and throw it away. This is this is a lifetime investment. And what we know from industry standards, like I've been in this industry 31 years now, we know people spend typically a couple thousand dollars a year to keep their butt warm. And if you're doing electric or oil or gas or whatever, when you run out of money, your heat your heat source is gone. That's the end of the story. So when you're working with wood heat, if you're into a $4,500 investment two and a half years before it's paid off and then your only, your only uh, cost is whatever it costs for wood, which is typically time, not so much money. And to me, that just simply makes sense. And it liberates people from that bloody... I mean, somebody, somebody asked me one day, well, gee, isn't it a lot of work to put the wood in, you know, chop your wood up? I said, how much work is it to write the check to the power company? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd rather be uh, going out and scavenging stuff that, and by the way, here's an you know, important point in my mind. Some people don't like wood burning. They think it's just horrible. And I get some of the most wonderful hate mail from certain groups of people that don't understand. Um, when wood rots... It creates methane gas. Most anybody knows that methane gas is an ozone depleter. So when you see wood lying around, 
that's rotting, we're being careless with that. We've been very careless with our forestry for a long time in this very manner. That's one of the reasons we've had such horrible forest fires on the West Coast this last few years. So it actually makes sense to be cleaning this stuff up, converting it to usable wood for your wood stove. Now, a wood stove puts out carbon dioxide. What do trees breathe? Carbon dioxide, and they exhale oxygen. Right. So it's a natural cycle of life, and the wood stove is a part of it. And I have these people like, oh, my gosh, wood smoke is horrible, la, 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 la. And I have to ask them one simple question. How, what's the difference between harvesting a tree for my wood stove or fracking, drilling, spilling, pipeline explosions, all the crazy things that go in with the petrochemical industry, which I'm not real fond of. Um, I, I maintain that just one well fire is far more damaging on the environment than every wood stove on the planet being run simultaneously for life. Just well, one well fire. Well, on that note, we've, Roger, uh, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to close the interview because we're like out of time. <laughs> so, oh, okay. But we close it on bursting into flames. Exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. We started Gary's with bursting. Yeah, into that's so, right. So it's a theme. It's a bookend. Yeah. We got this bookend thing going on. So thank you so much, Roger. You've been a very interesting um, guest, and we really enjoyed your stories and. We're looking forward to seeing more tiny house people take, checking out your products and um, maybe even uh, coming to your website. And do you have a blog on your website? We've got, um, well, the website, www.unforgettablefire, two T's in the unforgettable, firellc.com. And then we've got the Unforgettable Fire LLC Facebook page. I actually kind of need to bring in somebody that's going to do blogging because this thing is growing to the point in time where I can't my staff is small and we're already strung by the okay. heels here so. alright great great yeah. thanks for giving the website and the uh, the Facebook page and we will say goodbye to our tiny house listeners for today and tune in next week for yet another interesting episode of tiny house podcast where our guest will be I have we no idea. Thank you guys very much. Yeah, Roger. All right. All right. Bye, you guys. See you next week. See you next week. See ya.